begin a study of the letter to the Ephesian church. Uh, if you need a Bible, put your hand in the air and the guys will bring a Bible to you so you can track along with us. And I'm so excited to uh, get into this study and, and for what the Lord is going to emphasize with us today. Um, and in the weeks and months ahead as we dig into the stockpile of truth, that is in this letter, and you know I've just been chomping at the bit to get here. I knew for the last couple of weeks where we were headed with this, and and really looking forward to it. And today we're gonna. The title of the message is "Baptized in His Spirit." We're we're only gonna get through one verse this morning. Uh, we, we, it's honest. <laughs> I don't do that to you very often, but we have some preparatory work to do. Uh, in order to put the letter into context and to get a better understanding of this church in Ephesus, uh, we'll, we'll also see that there's a, a theme that runs through this letter, and we're going to observe that as we make our way through the text. It all relates to the title of our series, and the title of the series is The Impact of Grace. Um, the theme, if we were to write it out longhand in, in taking into consideration everything in this book, it would read something like this. New life in Christ puts us in a new family of believers, which gives us new standards in which we uh, govern our lives. All of this truth affects relationships with family, with work, with other believers, and ultimately with our enemy. I want to read that again. New life in Christ puts us in a new family of believers, which gives us new standards in which we govern our lives. All of this truth affects our relationships with family, work, with other believers, and ultimately with our enemy. So we're going to see that unfold as we take apart this letter and work our way through. We're also going to notice that this letter is broken down into two main sections. It's six chapters, and the first three chapters um, really spells out for us the impact of grace in the wealth of the believer. And the Apostle Paul spends half of this epistle dealing with our position in Christ. And for those of us who are saved, that means those of us who have recognized our need for Jesus as our Savior. We recognize what He has done for us on the cross, and we've prayed and we've asked Him to come and to uh, be our Savior. And, and we are born again as a result of His grace. 
we have received an enormous amount of wealth. Now, don't run out to the bank and try to do a withdrawal. Uh, It's not that kind of wealth. We're not going to get into prosperity teaching or anything. The wealth that we will learn about is this, uh, is the great blessing of spiritual wealth that has been deposited into our lives because of what Christ has done for us. And so the first half of the letter is spent telling us of these benefits in knowing Christ. And, And this prepares us for what he shares in the second half of the letter. The, the second half of the letter primarily deals with our response to his grace. And, and it, it prompts us in the things that, that should change in us and the walk that we have in Christ. And, and so we know we have this wealth in, in Christ. And now, because we know this, having, having studied and understood the first part of the letter, this knowledge should affect how we live our life and, and uh, shows us that there's action associated with our Christianity. It isn't just knowledge, but it, it should produce something in us and a change. If we comprehend all that Jesus has done on our behalf and we're made fully aware of our position in Christ, it should impact our lives, the impact of grace. And so... Paul lists some areas of the believer's life that should be changed and how this knowledge should affect the way that we choose to live. And then he concludes the letter by showing how once we've made that decision and we change, how the warfare comes into our life and the effects of that decision become spiritual warfare. And and we'll see that that if we choose to live our life for Christ and, and walk according to the understanding of our position in Christ, we can expect opposition. We can expect warfare to come. And so we have the wealth of the believer, we have the walk of the believer, and we have the warfare of the believer. And that's going to be a common theme. Walk the, the wealth, the walk, and the warfare. You're going to hear that from time to time as we move our way through these chapters together. And, and you're going you're gonna to hear them as we digest this truth. Now, by way of introduction, you can track the, the history of this church in Ephesus and uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20. We're not going to read through both of those chapters uh, this morning, but I want to encourage you, you know, as your homework assignment to go home and to read through actually even part of chapter 18, but primarily chapter 19 and 20 of Acts, uh, really spell out some insight into the letter that we're going to be looking at over these months to come. It, it appears that the church in Ephesus was established by Apollos. Now, Paul made a brief uh, visit to Ephesus before Apollos came on the scene and went into the synagogues, but basically was rejected. So there wasn't really a, a work that began in Paul's first visit. And then uh, Apollos comes on the scene, and Apollos is known in the Scripture as a man who was uh, mighty in the Scriptures. He, he was eloquent. He had he had the ability to speak, so people wanted to listen. He was a wordsmith, and and, and was able to craft a message that people were actually desiring to hear. And, and so 
he, he had the ability to get a crowd and to keep their attention and to relay truth to them. Uh, now, there's an interesting couple uh, that Paul had met with when he was in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla. You might remember them. Uh, they were business folks. They were tent makers by trade, and uh, they were Jews who first lived in Rome, but they, under Claudius, there was this great persecution, and there was a dispersion of the Jews, and, and Aquila and Priscilla ended up in Corinth and met up with Paul. Remember, Paul was a tent maker along with them to support his ministry in Corinth. Now, uh, after spending time with Paul in the city of Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla moved to Ephesus and they met up with Apollos there in the city of Ephesus. Now again, you got to remember, he was mighty in the scriptures. He was eloquent, uh, able to prove from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, that powerful orator. Uh, However, there was a, a group of believers that had gathered in Ephesus and this this is the deal. Apollos only knew the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we we know this because uh, Priscilla and Aquila were the ones that actually shared this with him when they came on the scene. And and so uh, they they explained to him the way more fully, we're told, and and relayed to him about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that which he was lacking in his teaching. And so we, we know that Apollos was in Ephesus because of this and, and that this is the only teaching that they knew was the, the baptism of repentance. And so Paul comes back on the scene in Ephesus and he comes to the church there and when he arrives he meets up with 12 people and whom Apollos had instructed in the Lord. And if you'll turn with me over to Acts chapter 19, we'll read just a, a short portion together. You're going to be jumping around a little bit in the, the Scriptures this morning. Acts 19, beginning at verse 1. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So it's interesting that the first thing Paul deals with when he comes into Ephesus is to find out where they stand, uh, where they stand on this idea of the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knew the difference that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would make in a believer's life. And, and so all of the instruction that Paul was going to give to them that, that was going to follow this meeting, it was going to be uh, more doable for them if they were empowered by the Holy Spirit for them, 
instead of them just trying to be different and live differently, that, that that power of the Holy Spirit would be necessary. And so Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus, lays hands on them, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. This is the deal. Paul knew that these people were saved. They had already received Christ. They had, they had listened to the teaching of Apollos. They had received Christ already. And, and so he thought it was necessary for him to fill in what was missing in their understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I think it's my responsibility as your pastor to teach this principle as well. I think it's that essential to our Christian life. When we struggle and, and we have difficulty doing what the Lord has asked us to do, we recognize that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be able to do what God has asked us to do. And now, I know many of you, if not all of you in this room, are saved already. And you've received forgiveness of your sin. You, you have a relationship with the Lord and you've responded and received Christ as your Savior. However, I don't know if, like Apollos, you've come from a background that just has no understanding of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I believe this understanding is essential to us uh, on how we're going to understand this teaching in, in the book of Ephesians, but also essential to our daily life as a Christian and the way that we choose to live. You see, there is power available for the Christian. It's supernatural. He will empower us to live the life that he desires us to live. He will also give us gifts by the Holy Spirit to make a difference, not only in the life of the church, but beyond the walls of this church that, you know, he's, he's pouring out his Holy Spirit. He's, he's giving us gifts that collectively will be able to minister to people outside these walls and lead them to Christ. And, and so he wants the gifts to operate among us and, and to make a difference in the world. How so? Well, I think we need to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit for a moment and, and just answer the question, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, I know just by me bringing up this subject and using those words, baptism of the Holy Spirit, that there are some that it conjures up problems for in your mind. You're, you're already sitting there saying, what did I walk into? I, I can't believe this is one of those churches. And, and it, it scares you to hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had a bad experience. You've just seen some really weird things take place and it was attributed to the Holy Spirit. I, I can relate to that. When, when I was a teenager, that happened to me. I was 13 or 14 years old and my brother was caught up in the Jesus movement of the 70s and uh, we lived in Orange County. He was taking me to these, what they called believers meetings. And they were really basically a home, home fellowship on steroids. I mean, it's just, it was a home gathering, but they packed them with people. And, you know, there's 50 people packed into a house and, and they're all speaking in tongues and craziness is going on. And, 
And, you know, I'm a, a young teenager and I'm looking at all of this and I'm thinking, this is strange. And, and so, but I wanted to hang out with my brother, so I went and I just kind of, you know, hung out. And I remember this one particular night, I'm sitting in this room and all these people are like, you know, praying in tongues and singing and going crazy and stuff. And it got a twitch in my eye. It started going like this. I don't know if I had dirt in it or something. And some lady honed in on me and she says, he's got a demon. And they all, I mean, they all came over and they just, you know, and they're laying hands on me. They cast everything out of me that I ever knew could be in me. And I was freaking out. I mean, I was a young teenager, and I'm just like, these people are insane. And they, they kept telling me, you have to receive the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues to get that demon out of you. And I thought, all right, I could do that. Should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Toyota. And I just started making up words, you know, and sounding like them. And as... I did that, they left me alone. But that was my initial experience of the Holy Spirit. And so when I got saved, I said, you can give me all the Jesus you want, but you can keep that Holy Spirit stuff. I saw that before. And, and we, when I got saved, we started going to a Baptist church in, in Colorado Springs. I was still in the army and at Fort Carson. And so we went to this little Baptist church and there was this guy, Brother Everett. I'll never forget this guy. He's probably 90 years old. Just a solid Baptist. Been a Baptist his whole life. And he had all of these stories about those people who speak in tongues. And as he was teaching our Sunday school class, I remember Brother Everett was just dogging the whole Pentecostal movement and anything to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And, and he had all of these reasons why well I was all for it I mean I told him hey brother I am with you on this that is weirdness I've seen it well when I got out of the army we came back to California and we we actually started a church in my dad's house and the guy who ended up being the pastor of the church came in one day and he started talking to me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I said whoa no, I'll I'll take all of the Jesus you have, but I don't want that. I've I've seen it. I don't want anything to do with it. And he opened up the scripture and he started to share with me what the Bible said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at this point in my Christian life, I I had already kind of locked in on the fact that I was going to be a biblical Christian, and if if it was biblical, then I wanted to I wanted it in my life. And, and so he opened the Scriptures and walked through it with me and showed me biblically what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looked like. And it didn't look anything like I was exposed to or anything like bro- Brother Everett had seen and, and was fearful about. And, and so I prayed and asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I was, and the Lord filled me with His Holy Spirit, just like the Word of God says He will. And, and so... You know, we have these things in our mind and we have these things we look at. I mean, there, there's a lot of weirdness that is attributed to the Holy Spirit. There are people who do bizarre things and blame it on the Holy Spirit. I mean, a few years back, there was this guy down in Lakeland, Florida, 
uh, Todd Bentley, who was down there, and this guy was so bizarre. I don't know how these guys get crowds of people, but there was a crowd of people, and, and they just kept coming to this place. And he's doing these bizarre things, these healing services, and, and so he has this lady that uh, has cancer standing in front of him, and he, he says to her, the Holy Spirit told me that I have to kick you in the face for you to be healed. Now, how bizarre is that? And he kicked her in the face. Another guy had cancer in his, in his abdomen area, and he, he said the Holy Spirit told him he had to punch him in the stomach. And so, I, I tell you that, I mean, this guy's ministry collapsed, and now he started it up in Canada again. I guess he got a new crowd. But people blame stuff like that on the Holy Spirit, and that's people's reference in their mind. When you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people start filtering it through all these bizarre things that happen, and it's not the Lord. That, that isn't the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture. And so, um, as we look at the, the Scripture this morning, I, I just want you to put aside your experience, any emotional thing you've been through with it, and let's just look at what the Bible has to say. And you can let the Bible speak to this issue in clarity. And, you know, just like any other subject, if we stick to the Word of God and we look at what the Bible says, the Bible will bring balance to it and, and understanding to it. So um, I just want to take some time to do that. So turn with me over to John chapter 14. Now, I'm having you turn to all these scriptures because I want you to mark up your Bible so you'll remember this when discouragement comes, when you feel like the presence of the Holy Spirit isn't there. You can go back and you can look at His Word and you can be reassured. We're going to go to verse 16. It says, And I will pray, this is Jesus speaking to His disciples, I will pray the Father... And he will give another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. That's a word you want to circle with. And he will be in you. It's another word you want to circle is in. Let me tell you why these words are important in this text. It's two different manifestations of how the Holy Spirit interacts with man. The word in the original language for with is para, P-A-R-A, and it means that he is alongside of us or around us. And, and you have to remember that the, the role of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, we're told, is that he will convict us of sin and that he will show us of our need for Christ. And, and so... Even before we're saved, he's with us. He's with everybody. He's around us, alongside. He's con you know, trying to convince us and convict us of our sin and unrighteousness and our need for Christ. Once we receive Christ, he is in us. That word en in the Greek means indwelling. He indwells the life of the believer. So when you uh, responded to that para 
work of the Holy Spirit, when He was around you and He was convicting you of sin, and you responded and you asked Jesus to come into your life, the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of you. And that's why you hear the term Jesus you know, came into my heart. Well, He does that via the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of you. All right? So, those are two examples of how the Holy Spirit uh, interacts with us. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. We'll look at the third way the Holy Spirit interacts. In verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Upon is the word you want to circle there. And you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so now we see that not only is the Holy Spirit with you as a believer, not only is he in you, but there is a a dynamic of the Holy Spirit interacting with us where he will come upon us. And the word in the original language is epi, it's epi. And what the word means is to fill to overflowing. It would be like if I took my cup of water and I took a bottle full of water and just started pouring it into the cup and it filled the cup and it just started pouring out over the edges of the cup. That's what epi means. It's just filled to overflowing. And so Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will come upon the believer and you'll be baptized in His power. Why? So you can do weird things? Kick people? No. It's so that you can be a witness for Him. It it, it empowers you to be able to live your life for Him as a witness in your local area and beyond to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, And so His power is to make us a witness for Christ. The gifts the manifestations of, the, of His power equip us as a church to be a witness for Him. And there's, there's a need in each one of us to have this epi experience, this baptism of the Holy Spirit to be filled, to overflowing with the power of His Spirit. It's a need for all of us who are Christians. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as a believer, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service. We're going to have the elders up here to, to lay hands on you and to pray for you, and, and you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I hope you will, you will not leave this place without this once you take to heart what the Scripture is showing us. And so, continuing the introduction, Paul arrives in Ephesus and he, he seems to complete the teaching with this baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the teaching which Apollos didn't know about. And, and he stayed there in Ephesus for about three years, ministering to the church there. And, and the church in Ephesus became a very strong church in the early days. Uh, in, in fact, the influence of Christianity that, that came from Ephesus became so strong that in the city of Ephesus, the, the silversmiths created a riot because of what was happening. They did this because the, the silversmiths were making these little silver idols of the, the goddess Diana, 
and uh, she was the, the goddess of the Ephesians. Actually, the, the city of Ephesus was the temple guardian for uh, Diana, this, this goddess. They believed that, that Zeus sent her down, and, and so they were supposed to guard this temple and, and such. And so uh, the people were getting saved, and they stopped buying the, the silver idols, and it was causing a recession in the, the silversmith industry. And, and so they, they came to the conclusion that it was, a, it was because Paul was preaching that gods are not made with hands uh, and, and that Diana was not a god at all. And, and so Demetrius and his silversmith union got together and, and they created this riot in Ephesus. And, and so there was a huge influence of Christianity coming out of the city of Ephesus. And, and so the surrounding areas were being influenced by this church. In fact, uh, J. Vernon McGee says this in his commentary. He says, this is the, the briefest of all introductions to Paul's epistles. It's brief because, frankly, this epistle was sent to the church in Ephesus but was intended to be for all the churches in the area. So, um, you know, even though it was addressed to the church in Ephesus, it had a broader reading, and, and it shows that there was a great work going out from this church in Ephesus. Under the baptism of the, the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, they were having a great influence on the surrounding churches as well. This, this gives great hope to what we're reading knowing that it wasn't just applicable to the Ephesians, that, that the truth was to go beyond that. It's applicable to our lives as well today. And, and so uh, major cities in the area were being evangelized and other churches established. Now, Pastor Chuck points out something in his commentary. He says, when, when Jesus addressed the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, Ephesus was the first church that was addressed because of their influence on the region. In, in uh, this power that they were operating in, the church was at its best in the early days. Now, in response to the love that they had for Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, they were having this, this greater outreach. However, as we know, they left that first love. They stopped their first works. And that's what Jesus challenged them. In fact, turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and have persevered and have patience, and have labored, labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this I have, 
that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so Jesus brings a rebuke to this church because they had left that that first experience that they had in, in seeing the power of God work through them. They, they left that first love for the Lord. They stopped doing those works that the Spirit had empowered them to. And so Jesus rebuked them and told them to repent and go back to that. And so we know that this is a, a church that, that had life in it at one time, and then it died down. Now, further in our introduction, the letter was written from Rome in 64 AD. It's one of the four epistles that are referred to as the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are all written while Paul was incarcerated. Uh, So we keep that in mind as we read it. And and I, I think that's enough introduction. We need to get to verse 1 so we can get through a verse. Uh, we're going to look at, at chapter 1, verse 1 of Ephesians. Now, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who were in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, he, he begins this letter in typical form. Uh, by way of introduction, he uh, introduces himself as an apostle by the will of God. Not by the will of Paul, but by the will of God. Now, I just can't read past his introductions without being reminded that, you know, Paul, I think when he wrote his introduction, there was, there was actually meat for the believers in the introduction. And, and so in reading that he was an apostle by the will of God, it's a reminder that God has a will for every one of us. That there's a calling and a will for our life that God has placed upon each believer. He was an apostle by the will of God. Remember, God called him. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He wasn't looking for a job. Paul... Paul got stopped by the Lord and called into the ministry on that road to Damascus. And so he he is an apostle by the will of God. And and he has a will for you and he has a will for me. Now, that's not a new message if you've been around this church for any length of time. You've heard me say this before, that, that we all have a calling, that we're all part of the life of the church, that there's no spectators. We don't get to watch other people do it. We're supposed to seek the Lord and, and ask what it is He wants us to do with our life and how being filled with His Holy Spirit, we can be a part of what's happening in, in our ability as a church to reach outside of these walls. And so it's a reoccurring theme. And, and I, I believe there's a reason that it keeps rising to the surface. God has an amazing work that He wants to do through us as a church. Not, not just corporate application, but, but individual application. There's, there's calling and equipping. But, but as a church, if we're all faithful to be what God has called us to be, then there will be a greater work done. We'll be able to reach G- people for Jesus in our community 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now you read that every time you leave this building. And, and that's what he wants to do with us. It isn't just about church. It's about what the church does when it leaves this building. Now, in order to accomplish this task, Paul needed to be about his business and God's plan for his life. And it's the same for you and I. It's incumbent upon us to spend time with the Lord, to discover his calling, his purpose, what he wants us to do while we're gathered together as a church. Now, Paul knew that he was an apostle by the will of God. Many times we, we look at our own lives and we, we just can't see how God can use us. I mean, we, we look at ourselves and we kind of measure ourselves against other people and we just think, you know what? I think it's for these other people. I, I don't think this message is for me. I can see how they could be used. They have natural abilities and such. And the reason that, that we can't see it is usually because we're looking backwards in our life. We're looking at our failures. We're looking at the times we didn't measure up. And, and we look at that and we disqualify ourselves because we say, you know what, I can't do it. And we're convinced that we're worthless for the kingdom of God. Folks, in order to go there in your mind, you have to discount everything the Scripture teaches us about what it means to be a child of God. You see, God has a will for your life. He has a will for my life. He had a will for Paul's life. He has gifted each one of you to be useful in the kingdom of God. And you see, it isn't about just the natural things that you can do. It's the gifts that He gives you, that He empowers you to do, that bring Him the glory. It's all about being empowered by His Spirit, functioning in the capacity that He desires you to function in. The Apostle Paul knew that he was functioning as an apostle by the will of God. Not because he applied for the job. He was just kicking rocks down the road to Damascus. He didn't apply to be an apostle. He was called by God. It was a calling on his life. And so it is for you and so it is for me. It's the same. We serve in whatever capacity God has called us to serve. And we do it in His power. It's not because we're pre-qualified to be able to do it. It's His power that qualifies us to be what we are in the kingdom of God. As you are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, you're empowered to be that person He wants you to be. The power of God working in us is what makes it possible to be used for kingdom purposes. So, how do we receive this power? Well, we receive it by faith, just like we do salvation. When you were born again, when you recognized that you had a need for a Savior, that, that work of the Holy Spirit was drawing you to Christ, and you recognized, you know what, I am a sinner. I, I've sinned against God, and Jesus is His death is what paid the price for my sin. And you prayed, and you asked Jesus to come into your life. You were saved by faith. You believe that you're saved by faith. 
It has nothing to do with goosebumps or what you feel or anything like that. You base it on what the Word of God tells us, and you place your faith in the Word of God. Well, it's the same for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I I walk you through the different ways the Holy Spirit interacts with man. So if you pray and you ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can take God at His Word, even if you don't feel anything. You don't have to get warm fuzzies and you know, kind of feel the baptism fall upon you. Some will, some some experience that, and and that's awesome. But that doesn't validate it. The Word of God validates every experience we have with God. And so we take it based on faith. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. He says, so I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then... If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is God's Word validating that if you ask, He will deliver. I mean, Father's Day is a good good day to kind of mentally walk through this. If, if an earthly father has a child that comes up and says, I'm hungry, you're not going to give them a scorpion. Well, I guess it depends on what day it is. But, um, but really, the example is, is that you would understand that that father would want to give food to the child. Well, how much more a perfect heavenly father would he desire to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He knows we need it. How much more willing would he, who isn't you know, tainted by sin, how much more willing would he be to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ultimately, it's the, the proof text that says, if we ask him, he will give. Even if you don't feel it, you can take him at his word. You can believe it in faith. Now, we're going to have the elders come up here in just a moment as we sing the last song. And again, I want to invite you to come up and to let them pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope you can put away all of your bad experiences and, and, and maybe you have a brother Everett in your head, you know, that's kind of reminding you that it's all weirdness and maybe you can put that aside and, and you can take God at His Word. I mean, we've looked at it biblically together and you can take Him at His Word. It, it doesn't have to be weirdness. The Lord wants to do a powerful work through your life, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, empowering you for service. Let let me give you one example here, uh, biblically, of a a person before and after. You remember in in John chapter 18, Peter, when Jesus was in trial, and and they were were taking him from station to station to to, uh, pronounce the judgment upon him. Remember, Peter was following behind him, and he denied the Lord. Three times? You remember that, right? That was prior 
to being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then you fast forward and you get to Acts chapter 2, which is after that epi experience being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You see Peter stand up in front of a crowd of 5,000 plus and preach the gospel. Same man, afraid of one or two people in a crowd, and now he's standing in front of 5,000 and the power of God, he's preaching the gospel. That's the difference between operating in our own power and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, you come and you pray the prayer of faith. Well, maybe you've, you've asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but maybe like this uh, Ephesian church that, that Jesus rebuked, maybe it's time to get back to those first works, those, that first love. You know, in, in Ephesians 5 where he tells you to be filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine, that word in the original language is playru, and it, it means to fill like a net. And, and whenever I read that, it reminds me that I'm like a net. I leak. And, and so the Holy Spirit fills me, and it just it kind of dissipates. And I just need that constant filling. I need the Lord to just keep filling me. And so if you want to come and get prayer again, you can come, and, and we'll pray for you again. It's all right. But just don't leave here without letting the Lord fill you afresh with His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank You, Lord, that uh, Your Word is, is so sure that we can put our hope and our trust and our, our faith in Your Word, Lord. And Lord, You have a desire to fill us with Your Holy Spirit so that we can be that person that You desire us to be and we can live in that calling that You've put upon our lives. And Lord, I, I want to pray for the folks in this room, Lord, that You would move upon this room, that You would do a powerful and a mighty work here in our midst today. We thank You, Lord, for Your faithfulness. We thank You that, Lord, we can trust You at Your Word, that You will fill each person that asks. And we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're